when Adam sinned, he did a number on the entire universe. The whole universe at that moment was broken. Broken beyond any mere human repair. The whole universe, because of Adam, was cursed. Every blade of grass trampled downtown Lakeville is cursed. Every star, every lion, every rock is under the curse of sin. The whole creation groans under the burden of this curse. And you know what? Every human being, every human being is also cursed. This curse from Adam's sin that spread to every man, woman, and child, spread to this whole universe, this curse affects us all. And it affects us in every way. I mean, our bodies are cursed. Our DNA now, now mutates. Uh, degeneration sets into our joints. Uh, disease ravages our bodies. Frankly, from day one, we're all dying. We are all dying beginning at day one. And this is all due to the curse of sins. And not just our bodies. That's just superficial. Our minds. Our minds are under the curse of sin as well. Our thoughts are fallen. They zero in. They zero in on self. Self-fulfillment and self-satisfaction and self-salvation and self-preservation and self-actualization and self-righteousness. Self, self, self. Our thoughts are cursed and zero in on self. All to, to due to sin. So, in other words, we're lie factories. And not only are we lie factories, but we are susceptible to lies. All of this is part of the curse. It's due to Adam's sin, his disobedience to the Word of God, his lack of faith that God would be the source of good for him. Adam's rebellion against the rule of God, all of that is sin. Due to his sin, we are cursed. We're cursed with difficult work, with difficult childbearing, with difficult delivery um, of children. We are cursed. And none of the things I've mentioned in body and mind are really at the bottom of the curse. The real, ultimate, ground zero of the curse is a spiritual curse where we are dead in trespasses and sins, and this sin and this rebellion has separated us from God as far as the east is from the west, that we're spiritually dead. Make no mistake about it, as we come to this passage, we are broken people in need of restoration because of sin. We are broken in body, 
We need restoration in body, restoration in mind, and especially and ultimately restoration in our soul. We need to be remade. We need to be reworked. We need to be recreated. And that's what we're learning about our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Holy One of God. He is the anointed Messiah. And He is the one and the only one that can make all things new and can make us new again. This Jesus from Nazareth. And we know He can reverse the curse. We know He can restore. We know that Jesus has the authority to confront the forces of darkness. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that. He cast out an unclean spirit. He cast out a demon out of a man with one word. Just speech, be quiet, come out. And the text says he came out of him without doing any harm. We know that he can help us. That's what we've heard our whole lives. The real question though, is he willing to help us? Does he want to help us? And are we willing to ask for help? Are we willing to ask for help? These are the kinds of questions that our passage asks in Luke chapter 4. Let's read it together. Find Luke chapter 4 and verse 38. And we'll read our passage this morning. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Here's the message of this passage. What we're seeing in Luke 4, Jesus has authority he has the authority to restore us completely. Thankfully, thankfully, He is compassionate and willing to do so for all who ask. That is the message of this passage. And so this morning, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at Jesus' authority in action. His authority to restore us completely, this full-orbed authority. And we're going to look at it under two headings, two headings in Luke chapter 4, 31 through, or 38 through 41. First, we're going to look at Simon's mother-in-law at noon, Simon's mother-in-law at noon restoring an individual, restoring an, individ an individual in verses 38 and 39. This is the first Healing miracle, physical healing miracle in 
the book of Luke. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this first miracle and then the broader miracle when he heals many. We're going to look at it from three different perspectives, each of these miracles. First, we're going to look at what Jesus did, just look at the text and look at what he did. And then we're going to really dig down underneath and look for some observations in the text to to really explore not only what Jesus did, but who Jesus is and therefore what he offers to each of us. So first then, looking at Simon's mother-in-law at noon, let's look at what Jesus did. So Jesus uh, cast out that demon out of uh, that poor man in the synagogue service. So here they are at church, right, 10 a.m. in the morning, doing their worship, and Jesus is preaching. And in the middle of the sermon, this demon through the voice box of a of a man speaks up, interrupts the message. And everybody's looking at Jesus, looking at this man. And Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him. And of course, that's a big stir. That's in the middle of the church service. Now, as our church service will end around noon, it wasn't much different in those days, the synagogue service with its singing and its preaching, and in this case, its demon casting, ended around noon. And it was time for lunch. It was time to eat. And so Jesus was going to head to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's home for Sabbath meal. And that's where he heads. Now, we don't know. uh, Nothing is mentioned here about Peter. We're going to learn more about Peter as we go, but... At the time that Luke wrote this, Peter was well known, so there's no really facts about Simon Peter mentioned here. But let me just say this. He had met Jesus and had his name changed a while back. He was no, um, he knew about Jesus. He, he was learning about Christ. I believe he was a believer in Christ at this point. Let's just say that Peter was in the early stages of leadership development. You don't see him called the full-fledged being a fisher of men and a disciple till later on in Luke chapter 5. So here we are at Simon Peter's house and we know that Simon Peter was married. I'll let that sink in for a little bit. Simon Peter was married. Now you say, how do we know that? Because the text says that he has a mother-in-law. Look at verse 38. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever And they asked him to help her. So Simon's mother-in-law, they come over for lunch, but um, Simon's mother-in-law is very sick. Luke is a physician, and he's the only one in all of the accounts that really describes this as literally a mega fever. Um, Simon's mother-in-law is flat on her back. She is really sick, probably with some sort of an infection, high fever, She was beyond the realm of medical practice in that day. And so there Jesus is in the house. And so someone, we don't even know who it is or who the people were, get up the nerve to bother Jesus after what he's just been through at the church service. Can't we just sit down and have a nice meal? No, Jesus, please 
help her. And so, what happened? Verse 39, And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. So, just like Jesus rebuked the demon in the last passage, Jesus rebukes the fever in this passage. It's, it's as if the fever itself is personified. It becomes a, a, a person to be rebuked in this passage. And I think what Luke is trying to show us here is the connection of that fever with the whole curse of sin and the connection of the darkness and the demon in the last passage influencing the mind and now the fact that this body is, has this fever that is connected to sin itself. It's like the fever here is a symptom of this greater disease, this disease of the curse, this disease of sin and darkness, a symptom. And Jesus shows His authority over this, and He rebukes the fever. And the healing is quite instantaneous, and she rises up, and she ministers to the people in her home. After all, the Sabbath meal needs to get going, and she gets to serving in hospitality, getting the noon Sabbath meal ready. The hostess is back in action, setting the table for a good meal. That is what Jesus did. But we need to dig. What does this tell us, secondly, then, about Jesus, about who Jesus is? I was blown away by this passage because what Luke is doing here is he's, he's saying, I think we're getting the feel that Jesus indeed has authority to do amazing things. But we're not just highlighting who Jesus is in regards to his authority in this passage, we're highlighting his compassion. In other words, what Luke is doing here, he's, he's doing something, he's saying, yes, he is able, but for the likes of us, sinners like us, the big question is this, is he willing, willing and able to touch us, to heal us? So let's look at how, how this shows not, uh, the authority and sovereignty and power of Christ, but the tenderness and mercy and compassion of Christ. First, He is able. Look at the clues that, that, that show us once again that, that Jesus is able. Jesus is standing over, the text says, over Peter's mother-in-law. He's standing over her in verse 39. Why give us that detail? Because... Luke is emphasizing the power and the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is over the fever. He is over it. And the fever is going to flee just like that demon fled. He stands over with authority. And by the way, how powerful is Christ? How authoritative is Christ with this fever? She's on her flat on her back. Does Jesus just go over to her and give her a vitamin? 
or get the meds started that will trickle into her system for two or three weeks and finally kick in? Does he get the IV drip started by the bedside? Does it take a couple weeks for her to get the full healing? The text says in verse 39, And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately, see that? She immediately got up and waited on them. She, didn't, she wasn't just halfway home with the word of Christ. She immediately got up. Jesus, the Holy One of God, healed. The Anointed One healed. And the healing was immediate. It was complete. It was instantaneous. And this highlights Jesus' complete power and authority over all disease. Because all disease is a manifestation of the curse. And all of the curse, the curse of the demonic darkness over the minds of lost people, the curse over our bodies, all of it is under the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. No incantations, no strange things like the physicians in Luke's day, and Luke would know, Luke, the physician. No, no, Jesus speaks, and it's done. The authority of the Word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we get a glimpse of the power of the Messiah. We get a taste, a, a foretaste of the power of the kingdom to come in these miracles. And there's a message. And the message is this. This is the promised one. This is the one who can do this to the physical aspects of the curse of sin. This is the one who can free minds from the powers of darkness. And this is the one who can go all the way down to the deepest aspects of this curse, to the spiritual separation of the soul and the lostness of soul, and can free us from the bottom up and change us from the inside out. He speaks and it's done. But the question for us because we get this, is not so much it, can he do this, although he is able, but is he willing to do this? Well, let's, let's turn to that then and think about, as we think about Jesus, he's not only able, but he's willing. Think about this. Jesus had a very long day. Preaching, casting out demons and that controversy, he wants to get a bite to eat. He gets interrupted. He's tussled with the darkness already, but people asked him to help. And you know what? This is what you need to see. Jesus helped. They asked for help, and Jesus did what? Jesus helped. It's not just enough to know that he's strong enough to save us. We must know. You must know that He's willing to help you. He's willing to save you. It doesn't matter who you are. He will heal anyone. He will free anyone from all the ravages of the curse of sin. I mean, look at He heals a mother-in-law. His first healing is a mother-in-law. I'm not saying nothing. He heals a mother-in-law. He doesn't heal the chief priest. He doesn't heal a scribe. He doesn't heal Herod or a Pharisee. 
He doesn't heal a man. He heals a woman who is not even named in this text. And in the first century, if you know this sort of thing, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. There's a message here. It highlights the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, that His compassion, He's willing to heal you and me. He's willing to heal any one of you, any one of you, of all of your sin. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter, are you ready, what you've done. Anyone can be healed by the word of Jesus. And he doesn't, he's not just willing, like, hmm, I'm willing, but I'm tired. No, no, this is his A game. This is what he longs for. This is what he, not just willing, he wants to. This is who he is. This is what he's come to do. He loves to heal the afflicted. When you're flat on your back, you can't heal yourself. You can't help yourself. There's no hope for us because of our sin. Jesus heals the afflicted. The text, Luke makes it clear that Simon's mother-in-law was suffering. Do you see that? From a high fever. She didn't just have a high fever. She was suffering. Literally, that word is she was tormented. She was afflicted, almost like a a demon, but it was an illness in this case. She was a sufferer. And Jesus has such compassion for sufferers like us, sinners like us, the hurting, the distressed. He doesn't like this, and he responds to this, and he helps sinners and sufferers like us. He's willing to do it. He wants to do it. And this is what Luke is highlighting about Jesus Christ. Not only he is able, but he is willing and he wants to help each of us today. He does. So let's go thirdly what Jesus offers then. As we summarize this first miracle of healing, what does Jesus offer? Let me just write this down. Write this down. He offers help for sinners. That's the gospel. That is the good news. The good news is this, Jesus offers help for sinners. He, he offers help for individual sinners. I love this. The first recorded healing in the book of Luke is not some random healing of all kinds of people. We'll get to that. No, no. Without, this is about an individual person. Jesus comes to you. Jesus came and comes to me in my affliction to an individual. He's not too busy for you. He's not too busy for me. He helps individuals. He helps Simon's mother-in-law, an individual woman who lived in Capernaum who wanted to prepare a meal for her family and friends. And she was suffering individually and Jesus went to her individually and dealt with her fever Her fever specifically, her kind of fever, your kind of sin, my kind of sin, my kind of guilt, my kind of past. He's willing to touch you individually. So, Jesus helps individuals, but watch this, Jesus helps helpless individuals. You got to see that. Jesus helps helpless individuals. You see, Jesus helps the helpless. 
Simon's mother-in-law needed help. She had a mega fever and she was flat on her back. It's so important to see this. You've got to hear me on this. Jesus helps the helpless. Jesus helps the hopeless. He's not interested in, let's see, if I put my foot here, Jesus, and you put your hand there, we'll work my sin out together over a period of time. He's not interested in self-salvation, in being helped in His salvation of you. He helps the helpless. He doesn't help people who can help themselves. He doesn't help people who don't think that they need help. He didn't come to heal the healthy and the whole, did He? He came to heal the sick and the broken. So Jesus helps individuals, yes, but Jesus only helps helpless individuals. And watch this, and for all of you who have been set free, those helped by Christ, are you ready? Those helped by Christ help others. Did you see it? This is the whole gospel here. Those helped by Christ help others. What happened when Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law? You know, I've had a rough day. I'm going to... No, she immediately got up and waited on them. I love that. Brothers and sisters, immediately. She gets up. So what about us? When Jesus comes and redeems us from our sin and it's all gone. How, how gone is it? Completely gone. Full healing. We are healed by Jesus and helped by Jesus, right? Not to go and say, thank you, Jesus. I'll put you on the shelf for the next 50 years while I get rich and while I heap up stuff for myself and live for myself and collect dust here. No, no. He has helped us so that we might join Him and follow Him in His mission of helping others. Did you see that in the text? Immediately she got up and served others. I think that's amazing. And this shows and highlights this, the type of, of restoration that Jesus brings. It's, it's not just a restoration that's kind of pathetic. I'm no offense, but it's not just getting rid of a fever. What good is that? You're going to get another one. It's a picture of a deeper and more powerful healing that Jesus brings. Yes, but He can. He deals with the cells of your body. He deals with your mind held captive by demonic lies. He deals with the soul separation and hatred of God at the very depth of it. And He heals your whole self. He makes you new so that you can what? Your, not only your head is healed and your heart is healed, but your hands are healed. So you go forth and serve Him. It's a full restoration. And by the way, those helped by Christ not only help others, but those helped by Christ are happy about it. I mean, it's not directly stated in the text, but can you see Simon's mother-in-law pops up and she's serving others. She's making the Sabbath meal. The, te- the Greek text emphasizes that, that she's repetitively going here. She's doing that. Not just for one. She's serving repetitively. And this is a response to Jesus of gratitude, of 
happiness for being free. It reminds me of my mother-in-law, by the way. Always serving, making food, setting the table, creating warm environments for spiritual conversation and hospitality and a place to rest. If you misunderstood my silence before, let me say that now. The big question I have for you, though, is this. Will you ask for help? Jesus helps sinners. Will you ask for help? Now, let's just dive deeper and go to the second, the second miracle. We've seen healing Peter's mother-in-law at noon, restoring an individual. Now, watch this. We see Jesus healing the crowd at dusk, restoring any and all individuals in verses 40 and 41. Look at what Jesus did, who Jesus is, and then we'll end this morning with an application for us, right? What He offers us. What did Jesus do in this second towards the end of that day at dusk? Look at verse 40. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. They've spent the afternoon, okay, we healed Simon's mother-in-law, okay, the dinner is served. The fellowship happens for the Sabbath meal. Not really supposed to go out and do much, right? It's Sabbath. But when the sun sets on the Sabbath day, the restrictions are loosened, correct? And now you can begin to carry people over to Jesus because word was already on the street of Capernaum. He's here. He's in Simon's home. And now the sun is setting and had set the end of the Sabbath towards the end of the day. And now, the same day that he preached and cast out of the demon, the same day that he went in for lunch at a, with Simon and people and, and healed Simon's mother, that same day, Jesus begins healing when the sun had set. And he healed and he healed and he healed and he healed. And they brought to him all who were sick, the text says. And with the glow of the sunset on the western horizon, Jesus touched each of them and brought full healing to them. He laid his hands on each one of them. The text says, on each one of them. And he was healing them. This time, not just a fever, but all kinds of stuff. Blindness and Cancer and leprosy and rickets and paralysis, significant diseases. How do I know they were significant? Because the text says they were brought to Him. They were brought to Him. They could not help themselves. They were brought to Him. This was not just minor low back pain and headaches. This was significant disease, although perhaps low back pain was healed as well that day. But this was people who were struck down due to their illness, dying and helpless due to their illness. 
and I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, but just hear me how different this picture is from the so-called healers of our day. Renting their stadiums, controlling their environments. There's no vague, unverifiable kind of sickness here. He healed each one, and he turns no one away publicly. He doesn't ask for money. He doesn't sell tickets. The healing of Jesus is real and complete and final and full, full authority over physical ailments over the whole body. That evening, Jesus basically shut down disease in Capernaum. And he didn't just shut down disease. He shut up demons. Look at it in verse 41. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. And I don't want to talk too much about this, but it looks like there's some, again, some kind of connection between the sicknesses and, in some cases, the involvement of demons. Literally, they were demonized and brought specifically for Jesus. Some just for demons, but this text connects some of the physical ailments with the demons. And that makes sense when we read other passages because the demons uh, had some control over the body. They could speak and produce through their bodies all kinds of malice and violence. But Jesus again with a word rebukes them and they come out terrified, shouting. What did they shout? Look at it. You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. I just, again, I've said it last time, I'm just shocked by how good the theology of the demons is and how bad our theology sometimes is. They're not willing to bend the knee to this one, but they know who he is. They're kind of up to speed to the plan and program that Jesus outlined in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19 from Isaiah 61 where where the Spirit of the Lord was on this one, the Messiah, to preach the gospel to the poor, the one who was sent by the Father to proclaim release from the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim that the favorable year of the Lord had come. And they, they kind of get it. They know He is the chosen one. The Messiah. They also know more than that, that He's the Son of God. And Jesus says, be quiet. Be quiet. I've had my fill. I've had my fill from the dark ones trying to pretend to speak the truth out of bad motives like I had for 40 days in the wilderness. You be quiet. I'm the one that speaks truth around here. I'll let you speak. Boom. There it is. Done. Be quiet and come out of Him. Jesus has authority over even the darkness and tells them to shut their mouth. But they're not wrong. And that leads us to the second thing to discover. What Luke wants to highlight here, who Jesus is. That's what he did. Here's who he is. Notice again, Luke highlights his, what? Authority and compassion. He highlights his ability to do it, but even more so his willingness to do it in this passage. Look at it in verse 40. 
And while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. The sun had set. How was Jesus' healing rate that day? Get about 90% right? 75? Was there a disease that was too difficult for him? Each one of them were healed. Everyone. It's the power he had. That's the authority he has. There's no case. Listen, there's no case that's too difficult for Jesus. Now listen. That's why the text says Jesus heals anything. He makes it clear that the people were sick with various. That word is all kinds of diseases came to Jesus. He does he, you name it, Jesus healed it. Real devastating, you can only carry them to Jesus kind of diseases. Anything and everything. Luke could have listed him, he was a doctor. All of them, Jesus healed them. The power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, there is no level of spiritual sickness and sin and grime and guilt and burden that you carry here today. That our Lord Jesus Christ is not able to free you of. Is not able to rid you of. And that forever. There's nothing. Believer, you still need Him. He's willing to help. There's no besetting sin. There's no unwanted lust or desire. There is nothing. There is nothing that is too much for Jesus. I just can't get this one. Jesus is able. Now listen to me. He is able to heal you spiritually. There is no one who is too far gone for our Lord Jesus Christ. No one is too far gone. He healed anything, anybody, and when He heals, He doesn't just get you started so that your own body takes over. No, He heals Himself. He doesn't need your help physically or spiritually. To heal you. He heals fully. But is he willing to do it? I know he can, but is he willing? Well, I love the tenderness of Jesus. They were brought to him. Did you see it? And laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Now, if any of you know about disease, diseases in those days especially and today are not clean and pretty. I mean, right? You get a certain disease this time of our culture and you are, you don't do this. No, no, disease is often contagious. Disease doesn't smell good. Jesus doesn't care. Come to me. He lays his hands on them individually. He touches them and it shows us the great heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. The great heart of Christ for sinners. His willingness to touch us individually. Each one of us. 
He's willing to do it. He's able to do it, but he's tender in it. And he's willing to identify with you individually, not just corporately some blob of humanity. No, he comes to you and he comes to you individually and he holds his hand and he touches you and he heals you. And he's not too tired to do it. He's not too tired for you. Jesus had a long day. This all happened on the same day. The synagogue service, casting out a demon, going to Simon's mother-in-law, having dinner, talking to them. Sun has to set, and then he heals, and he heals, and he heals, and he heals, and they come, and they come into the late hours of the night. The sun had well set, and Jesus, in respect to his humanity, the God-man exhausted himself for the people that day. He exhausted himself. He emptied himself. He touched each one. All day he pursued them. It shows us his love. It shows us his heart of willingness, his pursuit of us, his tenderness. I love Hebrews 5 and verse 2. It says that he, Hebrews 5 and verse 2 of Jesus, says that he can deal gently, that he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Such is the heart of Christ. Dr. Ortland has said this about this passage in Hebrews. He says this, quotes, The point is that Jesus deals gently and only gently with all sinners who come to Him. Irrespective of their particular offense and just how horrible it is. Heinous is the word, but I'll say horrible it is. Quotes. He goes on to say, quotes, As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending even deeper into Christ's very heart. Not away from it. Looking inside ourselves, we can only anticipate harshness from heaven. But looking out to Christ, we can only anticipate gentleness. Close quotes. Gentleness for all those who come, for all those who ask. And that leads us then as we close in the next few minutes. What Jesus offers. What Jesus offered that day and what He offers still today for the favorable year of the Lord that was opened that day when He preached is still open. It is still the great Sabbath rest, the great eternal year of Jubilee. The Helper is alive. He is well. He is willing. And He wants to save. So what does Jesus offer? I'll tell you what He offers. Write it down. Complete help for sinners. I'm just amazed. I'm not going to say this too much more, but I want you to get this. I think there's a pattern here. Jesus, Luke is wanting us to see that Jesus heals not just skin deep. Yeah, He'll deal with the physical fever and that part of the curse of sin, Right? He's going, to, he's going to make all things new. We're going to get new bodies eventually. That's all because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But he doesn't just deal with our bodies. He deals with our minds. I think that's the emphasis on the demonic here and the whole control of the mind and the lies. That's what Satan uses today is, is demonic lies. And he frees the mind. And also, it doesn't matter if your body and your your mind is freed. He doesn't just free all. He frees your desires, your affections. He softens your heart. 
makes you to hate your sin and to love Jesus. He sets you free to follow Him. This is a full restoration. He offers complete help for sinners. And you ask yourself, well, how? How can He do this? This is amazing. This can't be just a guy. He's got to be special. He's got to have some qualifications to help. Unfortunately, oftentimes we don't know. The demons do, though. They nailed it. What are the qualifications of this one to heal each of us today? Number one, he was the anointed one. He was and is the anointed one. The text says, but rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. That is a technical term. Luke wants us to see it here very clearly. Let's, let me tell you who he is right now before we get too far into this. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. The promised Old Testament Messiah. He's qualified. He's the Messiah. He is the anointed one. That's what that means. He is the anointed one. This is the term for anointing of a king, the theocratic or kingly anointing of the final king of Israel. The forever and final king of Israel has come. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. And yet, in the Old Testament, what was so shocking about the Old Testament is that the Messiah was also strangely the Son of Man, the the suffering servant Somehow, and they didn't know the prophets, the the who and the when and even the how uh, of suffering before glory and how the suffering servant could be the forever king at the same time. But that's what qualified him, you see. That's what the Messiah was and who the Messiah is. He is the strong Messiah, the kingly Messiah with all authority, Luke says. He's very clear about that, but he's more. He's the compassionate, loving merciful, sympathetic Savior who suffers for His people and touches them. And actually, not only touches them, but at the end, on that cruel cross, was willing to not only touch them, but to take their sin upon His own body and suffer there under the white-hot wrath of God on the cruel cross of Calvary that the suffering servant was willing to take our sin as our substitute. And bear the curse, the full, hot wrath of the curse for each of our sins. He was qualified because He was both the powerful King and the suffering servant. The Old Testament Messiah is here and Luke wants us to know us. You say, how do, how do you know that He wants us to know this already? I'll tell you why. Because the first thing that He did, they tried to chuck Him off a cliff. They rejected him in his hometown, a foreshadowing of the greater rejection that would become when he was stripped naked and when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He is the Messiah of Isaiah 53, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him And by His scourging, we are healed. The Messiah is a king who was qualified with the authority to rule as a king forever, but a Messiah who was willing to suffer 
in order to get rid of our sin. How could a mere man do it? Answer, a mere man couldn't do it. You are the Son of God. You want qualifications? He's not only the suffering servant and the Davidic king, but he is the very Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity who came and took upon this stuff, this flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he must be the God-man. Because how else can you get rid of eternal sin? But being fully God and fully man, in six hours he could absorb and pay individually and specifically for your burden, for your sin, for your guilt. And he could rid it. He could finish it. And so he said, it is finished. And he proved it when he rose from the grave. I'll tell you what. Jesus gives complete help for sinners. And he is qualified to give full help to sinners like, it, like us. But I'll tell you, and we're, we're out of time. This is where we end. That's all great. The question I have for you, for you is, are you willing to come for him for help? I mean... For the first time, if you're not a, sure you're a believer here, but I know we believers, we're stubborn too, right? Are we willing to come in our current suffering to Him? We're too stubborn for it. The emphasis, now watch this, the emphasis in this passage, exegetically, is on those who asked for help for Simon's mother-in-law and those who believed in Jesus enough to bring their sick family and friends to Him. They believed and they acted. This is faith. Now, like what Pastor Johnson said, simple faith makes all the difference. This is faith. Are you willing to ask Jesus for help? If you're willing, He will touch you. He will save you fully and forever. Jesus, are you willing? He said to the leper, I am willing. Be cleansed. Are you willing to ask help for Jesus? He's at Simon's house. Are you going to go to Him? He's at the gates of Capernaum and the sun is setting in the day is ending. Will you go to him? I know I've got plans tonight. They must have said in Capernaum, I got plans tonight. But Jesus is here. I got work to do. No, no. I need him more than anything. I've got to drop everything and go to Jesus. When you see your need, as this gray haven said in their song, then one day all that's holding you back just doesn't hold a candle anymore. And you go to Jesus most willingly, heavy laden with the guilt of sin, recognizes that He alone can forgive you of all of your sin, to give you the perfection and His righteousness that you need, and that in Him the favorable day of the Lord has come to you, and that forever. Will you go to Him? Will you go to Him? Let us go to Him before he leaves our village. 
before he leaves this village. 